Hey man guys, well my name is Kurt Flinchball. Uh, my wife and I have the incredible privilege and honor of leading the Lehigh Valley Mission Team. Uh, and so I'm going to be preaching as well as Jimmy Black, who his wife and he, uh, as he said last night, the, the woman that has the privilege of marrying him. Uh, <laughs> things not to say when you are married. Um, he, will be, he will be preaching with us. They lead the, the planting in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, which, so it's great to be working with Jimmy. Uh, he's a great friend of mine and I'm encouraged by our partnership. So just in case you're in the wrong room, the title of this lesson is Fake Love, Fake War. Uh, what we're going to be focusing on is how we cannot settle for corrupted, impure, virtual thrills, and instead how we can engage the love and the war that God has designed us for. Amen? Let's yeah. go to God in prayer before we get started. Heavenly Father, God, I just want to come to you today, and I thank you that as men, you've called us to make such an incredible difference in this world for your son's name. Father, I thank you that you've chosen each one of us and that you've moved in our lives and taken hold of our hearts so that we can go out and take hold of others for you. And God, I pray that you be with us in this lesson, that you allow us to have great victories in our lives and our personal battles so we can glorify you and, and change the world for you. Father, I pray for this message. If there's anything that Jimmy or I are about to say that you don't want said, remove it from our lips. If there's anything that we haven't thought of you once said, put it on our heart so that what you once said may come across so that each of us may leave knowing you greater and more equipped and willing to make you known and to have victories in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So before we jump in, I want to ask you a question. Feel free to raise your hand, and when I point at you, you can just shout it out. Who is your favorite superhero? Batman. No, raise your hand. It's all right. Raise your hand. So we got over here. Ruth. Who? Ruth. Ruth? Groot. Groot. Okay. I was like, Ruth. I was like, I, I'm not that old. I'm not that old. All right. Groot. Batman. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Aquaman. Aquaman. Just because Jason Momoa looks like a boss, right? Captain America. Captain America. Shazam. Shazam. All right. Before the movie trailer came out or after? I mean, I'm just saying, man. That trailer made me a fan of Shazam. Even if I didn't know who he was before then. All right. Any other favorite heroes? Wolverine. All right. Anyone else? Iron Man. Iron Man. No Hulk fans in here? No Hulk? I love the Hulk. Superman. Superman. Spider-Man again. Do you say Spider-Man 2? Like specifically the Spider-Man 2 movie? Oh, you say Black Panther? Uh, how did I hear Spider-Man out of that? I'm sorry. I don't know how I heard that, man. I don't know. But Black Panther. All right. So you think about it. And we love superheroes, right? I have a two-year-old son. And, and even at his age, from that young age, he loves superheroes. Every day, about a thousand times, he asked me to pretend to be the Hulk. Or pretend to be Spider-Man, right? And, and he'll run around the house pretending to be one of those two characters. There, there's something in us as men that we love the idea of being a hero. Because yeah. deep down as men, we all want to be heroes. Right? We want that to be our life. We want to get the girl and save the world. We want to get the love and the respect. And we also want to get the admiration and the, the, the respect of the world. And we want to do superhuman things. We want to be the rescuer. We, we want people to tell stories about our lives that, that lift them up and inspire them. And the incredible thing about that is God has placed that in us because that's what he wants us to be as men. That, that desire to be a hero, that, that desire to, to kind of get the girl and, and save the world, that's actually something God has placed in us. But a lot of times we fulfill that desire in wrong ways. And we fulfill it in ways and, and very cheap and, and watered down, impure virtual realities. And, and we turn to these different realities to try to feel like a hero 
And that very source of trying to find that identity as a hero, that, that escape of finding that false reality is what stops us from being the heroes God wants us to be in the first place. Now, I, I truly believe that God has placed that desire in our hearts for a reason. That you are the heroes that God is going to use to change the world. But we have to make sure we're going after that in the right way. Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 13. As you're turning there, the background of 1 Samuel 13, it's God's people have come and they're getting ready to go to war with the Philistines. And Saul, as king, gathers the, the army of Israel. They go to fight and earlier in chapter 13, he, he makes some mistakes. He chooses to, out of fear, act the way that he wants to act instead of trusting God and, and fighting the way that God wants him to fight. And he gets rebuked for it. And so now they're setting up and... In between this stage, the Philistines are preparing their army. And in 1 Samuel 13, we have the largest recorded army of the Philistines in scriptural history up to this moment. That there are over 3,000 chariots. That there's an army vaster than anything Israel had seen before. That the largest army Israel has ever faced is preparing for war. In 1 Samuel 13, verse 16. It says, Saul and his son Jonathan and the men with them were staying in Gibeah and Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. One, one turned towards Oprath in the vicinity of Shaul, another toward Beth Haran, and the third toward the borderland overlooked the valley of Zeboim, facing the wilderness. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel. Because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords and spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes, and for repointing goats. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Mechmash. Now this situation in Israel history is a, it's an incredibly desperate situation. Their enemies have gathered and they're at the gates. They are right at the boundary lands and they're beginning to encroach upon the people of Israel. And the largest army that Israel has ever faced up to this moment is gathered. And not only are they incredibly outnumbered, are there 3,000 chariots? And, and when you think about chariots, we, we don't really understand it. It's like you going to war against the division of thousands of tanks. And you're just a few foot soldiers. And to top it all off, you have nothing to take down the tanks with. You have no RPGs. You have no rocket launchers. No mines. You have handguns. And that's this situation. The Israels are coming to war. And they actually have no metal weapons. That because the Philistines had such a tight control on blacksmithing and, and the, the uh, education of how to blacksmith, the Israelites show up and at best they have pointy sticks against an army with swords, spears, shields, chariots. And the entire nation of Israel, only two men have adequate weapons. And they get ready for combat. I don't know about you, but if I was an Israelite, I wouldn't feel so good about my odds. I feel a little intimidated by that. And, and as they're getting ready and they're knowing the situation ahead of them, the Philistines start sending out raiding parties. And the three places they mention what's happening is the Philistines are sending smaller divisions 
which still outnumber the Israelites to block off all possible roads of reinforcements. So here the Israelites are outnumbered, outarmored, ill-equipped, and without hope of backup. Without hope of reinforcement. And those raiding parties go out and they block the roads and, and they have free range because the Israelites are the army of Israel is getting trapped. They can do whatever they want to any Israelites they find. They can raid the villages. They can plunder and steal and kill. And, and the world around the army of Israel is beginning to fall apart because of the desperate situation. And this war is where we're going to spend most of our time today. The incredible thing is, from the perspective of Saul and the Israelites, the world was falling apart and there was nothing they could do about it. Is that not how we would describe our world today? As Christians all around us, we are outnumbered. Many of us feel incredibly ill-equipped to fight the challenges both in our own lives and our own righteousness as well as in changing the world around us. We're outnumbered, we're outmatched, we're ill-equipped. We have no hope of reinforcements and we see how little we feel that we can do. You know, our world is hurting. Divorce rates in the United States right now, 40% of all first marriages end in divorce. 60% of all second marriages end in divorce. 75% of all third marriages end in divorce. Depression. We live in the wealthiest time in human history. And yet the number one and number two most prescribed drug in America are Prozac and Zoloft, antidepressants. Now I'm a big believer in medicine for depression, amen? amen? But it shows you something about our world that the number one problem in America from a medical standpoint is depression. Our world is hurting. Suicide. There are 123 suicides every day in the United States. Today... 123 people will end their own life. Talk about it. Our world is hurting. Our world is desperate for a hero to fight for them. To change the situation. And God has placed each one of us in this room to be the heroes in our communities. To be able to go out and to change those things and to change those statistics and to change lives. God has created you to stand in the gap, to speak the truth, to love boldly and to change people. That the desire to be a hero is something God has placed in you for this very moment. But many of us turn to fake love and fake war instead of the real love and the real war we're called to fight. That rather than sending our attention to the battles that God has called us to win, all of our energy goes to battles that have been created in the virtual world. Now my only point today is fake war, real consequences. Fake war, real consequences. 1 Samuel 14, verse 1. It says, One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come. Let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. So you look at this scene. 
And all around the army of Israel, the, the, the Philistines are outnumbering them and they're strategically moving and they're, they're attacking at strategic points to make it harder and harder for victory to be won. And you look at Saul, the king of Israel. He has the army of God with him. 600 men. They have the ephod. Right? The ephod is what the priest would use to determine God's will. It was used during military campaigns to determine how God wanted people to attack. So that the army of God could be led by God to victory. And so they have the ephod and they have this priest who can inquire of God, what should we do? How should we fight? They have 600 men dressed for war. You have the king in his armor and his sword. And they're sitting in a royal court doing nothing. That the wording here for the sitting under the pomegranate tree and the, the wording for that court here, there's, there's a lot of theologi- theological thought that, that what he's doing is, a judge, is, is kind of judging the people. As a victorious king, people are coming to him with their cases. So he's starting to deal with internal things as if they've already won while the Philistines are surrounding them. They are showing the part. They got dressed up, they showed up, but they're not going to war. That they're living a fake war. They're living in a fantasy world rather than engaging the battles right across the street from them. They're spending their energy trapped in this fantasy victory, this fantasy fight, pretending to be inquiring of God without ever doing it. Pretending to be ready for war without lacing up and marching to the lines. And that fake war created real consequences. The rest of the nation begins suffering because they're involved in a fake war. Come on, Kurt. You know, we do this all the time today. We see the challenges ahead of us. We, we see the problems and, and the wars and the battles that God has called us to fight. And instead of engaging in those battles, we run to the internet. We desire to be a hero. We desire to be a man that is worthy of the affection and the attention of women, whether it be our wives, our fiancés, our girlfriends, or sisters in the church that we want to protect. And we want to be someone worthy of their admiration. And yet instead of running to the fight and with our wives getting intimate and knowing them and, and asking the hard questions and being there for them, or, or with our girlfriends encouraging them and protecting them, or with the women in the church taking them on encouragement dates, we look to pornography. This lie that allows us to believe that we are worthy of this attention and to live in a fantasy world where we can be the person that we desire to be and the way we desire to interact with women. We see the way that God calls us to engage the world, to speak the truth to people, to love people, to get involved in their lives, to be the hero that comes and teaches them about Jesus. But instead of engaging in that battle and grabbing someone and going and sharing your faith or getting in a Bible study or serving someone, we turn to the internet. We play video games where we pretend to be the heroes. Where we live in this fantasy world of of being a hero who's, who's fighting the wars and winning the battles where the real wars are happening all around us. And people are dying because we're engaged in a fake war. We spend so much energy in fake love and fake war. Why? Because it's hard. It hurts. It's scary. Why was Saul living this fantasy war? Because he just messed up really bad. And now he's afraid of losing. He's paralyzed by the fear and the risk. 
know, I love this quote. Pornography promises orgasm without intimacy. Video warfare promises adrenaline without danger. You know, intimacy, true intimacy, having our wives know us and actually knowing them and, and drawing out their hearts and spending time with them and, and learning them. That, that intimacy, that vulnerability, there's a risk there. Because we allow ourselves to be hurt. Let's go, it's much easier just to let a sleeping bear lie than to turn to our wives and say, hey, babe, what's really wrong? It's much easier to say, I'm fine, and you know they're not fine, but you want to watch the game. So you go, okay, go talk to the sisters about that. It's easier to escape to a pornographic world where they are on demand for our needs without the intimacy and the selflessness that it takes to have a real relationship. It's easier as a single man to turn to pornography and pretend to be someone worthy of love rather than actually working at your character and becoming a man that is worthy being trusted by a woman in the church. We look at this video game world and it's easier to play the hero in a game where there are no consequences than there are to risk being hurt when I reject and share my faith with people. The fear of rejection. The fear of spending the time to speak the truth to someone and, and then leave us and break our friendship. That, the pain, that suffering, we want that heroic side without the danger or the pain. And because of it, People are dying. Let's go, bro. You know, this conference eight years ago was my first time coming to a, a conference like this. Eight years ago, we gathered in Virginia Beach for the ACR Generations Conference. And I was in a bad spot. I had gotten baptized uh, about five months earlier. And the first couple months of being a Christian were going well. And I was growing and I was having victory. And, and somewhere in that first three months, I, I began pushing people out. I began not wanting help and not wanting to get support and not wanting to be real about what's going on. And, and so I started stiff-arming the people that were trying to help me in my life. I started threatening to, to withdraw from people as they challenged me in sin. And, and that pride and that arrogance, it, it drove me to try to rely on my own. And soon the very things I swore I would never do when I said Jesus was Lord crept back into my life. I became re-addicted to pornography. I started watching porn at least once a week, sometimes two or three times a week, and, and hating that I was doing it, and, and coming to church, and, and seeing everyone around me, and feeling like I'm the failure. I'm the one that they can live this life, and I can. And, and then that drove to bitterness and mistrust. And I looked at the people in my church, and I started thinking that there's no way you're really living this life if I'm not. And I started not trusting them, and that bitterness started driving into my heart. And I was one conversation away from leaving God. And I got a phone call from my regional evangelist. And he convinced me to come to this retreat, to this conference. And I came down and, again, I was in a bad spot. My purity was all out of whack. I was running and escaping rather than fighting and being real with my sin. I was just running these fantasy worlds. And, and I come down to this conference and I'm, I'm walking on the boardwalk behind beforehand. And Satan took one last stab at me. A guy on the top floor of a, of a hotel threw a beer bottle at me on the boardwalk. Again, I was not in a good place and I started screaming up to the top of the hotel. This is hours before the conference. As a Christian, and I'm going, tell me what room you are. I'll teach you not to do that. I will come up there. And I almost got into a fist fight hours before the conference. Because of my insecurity and I didn't want to look bad. And I thought I had to be a certain way. And I walk into the conference, the worship session Friday night. 
And I walk in and there's 3,000 people worshiping God. And I stopped dead in my tracks. I remember feeling frozen. And this one brother I knew grabs me by the shoulders. And goes, everyone in here is your brother or sister in the faith. And they're in this fight with you. How cool is that? And I just went, I'm failing them all. I just broke down. I started weeping. I was like, I'm failing every one of them. And, and I sat in this lesson just realizing, how has God not killed me? I tried to fight somebody an hour ago. And yet there's still grace. And I left that night and, and I was on the beach till three in the morning, crying out to God, begging God to change me, begging God to help me, confessing my sin. I came to this lesson, the lesson on purity eight years ago and sat in the lesson. And the whole time I felt like the preacher put my heart in a blender and was just yelling at me. He wasn't at all, but I felt like I like start sinking in my chair. You know, like when you're taking notes, you're like, I'm just getting comfortable, bro. And you're leaning back. Like, no, you're hiding. All of a sudden, three people just sat up a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like, and I sat there and I thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm exposed. And I get in the car on the ride home and his brother turns around and goes, how was the conference? I only met him on Friday when he drove me down. I was like, it was good. And he goes, what lesson hit you the most? I was like, oh, the purity lesson. He said, why? I was like, I'm struggling. I don't know how he was driving on the, the Chesapeake Bay Tunnel. I don't know how we didn't die. He, he was driving the car and he straight up turned around, like all the way around, and stared me in my eye for what felt like 20 minutes. <laughs> and he goes, are you struggling or sinning? Everything came out. Wow. These two brothers turned the radio off. Let me just confess. Confess for about 45 minutes to an hour, just talking through everything. And they spent the next six hours of that drive home using the scriptures to rebuke and encourage me. From everything from my pride and my arrogance and my lack of wanting help to my purity and the way I was hurting people. And the thing that changed me was realizing that all these people were in this war and I wasn't doing my part where I lived. That my brothers and sisters, that God himself was counting on me to do something where I lived. And I was failing them. And yet God still gave me a chance. So I vowed to never again run to fake love or fake war to avoid the pain of the real war. Now, 2 Corinthians 5. Or 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 12. It says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The truth is we are designed to be the hero, amen? And when we turn to pornography or video games, we run to these fantasy worlds, we avoid the pain of the real world and allow people to die. We allow women to feel like our wives or sisters around us to feel like they're not worthy of our attention. We allow them to struggle as Satan tells them they're not good enough. And we allow people around us in the world to not know Jesus. And we give the best of ourselves to a war and a love that makes no difference. Why? Because we're afraid. Why was I going to porn? Why was I running to these virtual wars? Because I was afraid that I wasn't good enough. Because I had failed. Because I had messed up. I was afraid that that meant I wasn't good enough to do what I was called to do. 
And it wasn't until I knew this scripture that, that in Christ is the only way we can be heroes. Amen? Amen? We are heroes in Jesus. Why? Because our flaws show his power when we choose to engage the battles. You know, I came back from this conference and I decided to engage. I was the same sinful person, the same struggles, the same battles, but I had chosen to get radically open and to do whatever it took. To share my faith, to be in Bible studies, to confess sin and temptation. Three weeks after this conference, we had our first baptism. Our Bible talk grew from two of us sitting in a room to 30 people a week coming from five different schools. And by the end of that year, we had 11 disciples on five campuses. Why? Because God uses our weaknesses when we choose to engage. Brothers and sisters, or brothers, not brothers and sisters, brothers, I, I beg you. Don't leave this conference without choosing to engage. Let go of the ways that you run away from the fight. And decide instead to engage the fight for God. With that, I give you Jimmy Black. Amen. Amen, amen. Uh, So, I've got one point. My point is make love, make war. I'm just kidding. That's not actually my point. Um, my, my, My point, I just thought it was funny. Um, embrace love, embrace the war. Embrace love, embrace the war. If you're not there, turn with me back to to First Samuel uh, chapter 14. So, for those that, that don't know me, my name is Jimmy Black. Uh, my wife and I have the privilege to lead the Bowling Green Mission Team in a place called Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, we're we're the, the farthest south and the farthest west church in the ACR. We're actually the only church. In the central time zone. And uh, we're, we're grateful that, that God has us there. And, and I'm going to be able to share some of that here in a bit. But First Samuel starting, uh, First Samuel 14 starting in verse 1. And I apologize, I'm in the ESV. Um, one day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul, and Saul, obviously his father, Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeon in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including uh, Ahijah, maybe that's how you say it, the the son of Antiab, Ichab's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shinai, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The man, the name of, of the one was Bozes, the name of the other one was Sinat. The one crag rose on the north in front of Mitzka, and the other on the side in Ginab. Jonathan, son of the young son, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor. Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you, it, do as you with. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Let, let's pray again. Heavenly Father, uh, we love you. We praise you, God. And God, we just really ask uh, that you would soften our hearts, God, that you clear our minds. 
uh, and allow your Holy Spirit to, to really work, God, but ultimately for your scriptures to speak loud, to speak clearly, to speak powerfully, God, and, and ultimately for them to transform our hearts and our minds, God. We love you so much. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So it's wild because as men, uh, Kurt talked about it, there's a lot of things that we idolize. And one of the things that, that we often idolize, especially as younger men, is we idolize a relationship. And specifically a, a relationship with the opposite sex, with, with a spouse. But, but, but my first point where, where I'm going to be talking about embrace love, it's not about a romantic relationship. And, and I'm not even talking about the love between us and God. I want to talk to, about the love between us and, and other brothers. Amen? So, so what, is, what is the armor bearer's response to Jonathan in verse 7? The, the armor bearer, he, he turns to Jonathan, he says, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. The love between brothers is unlike any other love. It, it actually doesn't compare to, and praise God it doesn't compare because it would be, be wrong if it compared. But, but, but it doesn't compare between the love between a man and a spouse. But if you look at, at Jonathan's love between him and David, and then you look at uh, the, the, the love between the armor bearer and Jonathan, there's something unbelievably intimate that's going on. And it's, it's wild because the world uses this to, to twist scriptures. But, but there actually is supposed to be something really intimate between you and I. In America, we, we live in an, idealist, in, a, in an individualistic culture. And I don't think it's, it's coincidental that, that there's this interaction between Jonathan and his armor bearer. I, I, I believe that, that God, in his foreknowledge, he, he included this, this little segment for a reason. God, God could have certainly told this story through the prophets and, and just told us about everything that, that Jonathan did. But, but, but Samuel, carried along by the Holy Spirit, for some reason, included this intimate relationship between him and his armor bearer. Why? Because I think that needs to exist between you and I. And, and it's wild because, I, I kind of similar, similar to Kurt, I... My, my past is dark. My, my past on escapism and, and pornography and, and masturbation is, is dark. I, I was never diagnosed as, as uh, clinically addicted uh, to sexual impurities, but honestly, there's, there's a good chance I was. From the time I was 17 till the time I was 21, I looked at pornography and masturbated 360 days out of a year. And the only five days that I didn't was me giving myself a challenge that I wasn't going to do it for three days. And I'd last 24 hours and, and I'd turn right back to it. And, and, and on average, I bet you I'd try to do that a, a couple times a year. So that's how I got the 360 out of, out of the 365. But before I was in Christ, I always tried to do it on my own. And it's exactly what Will talked about. Will Archer talked about this morning. This is my pride. Even though pornography was accepted by our culture, I didn't want people to know how often I looked at it. Because it made me feel and it made me look like less of a man. But it wasn't until I really started following Jesus 
and I had other people with me that were pushing me to follow Jesus that I ever knew what freedom outside of this escapism was going to look like. I've got plenty of, of Jonathans in my life. I, I, some of you guys know Brody Snell. Brody Snell and I, we, we grew up together. He's the guy that studied the Bible with me. He's a Jonathan in my life. He was a man who, who was not going to allow me to sit in my sin. He was a man that was going to challenge me. He was a man that was going to push me. He was a man that was going to call me higher. A big brother in the faith, Greg Campbell. A man who, who isn't just this big, huge bodybuilder, but, but, he, but he's this rock-solid man who loves Jesus. And he was going to refuse to allow me to sit back and watch him go to battle. Other people in my life, Sean Kirkland, Brian Perkins, but then even today... One of, my, one of my Jonathans is Kurt. Guys, up until six months ago, I had never led a ministry. And I'm leading a church. I've been married for a year and a half. I, my, my wife and I actually never even led a Bible talk together. Like that, that, that's our background. And, and the fear that's been prevalent in us moving to Bowling Green and trying to do something that that we've never done is overwhelming and it's crippling. And, and the amount of time since I've been in Bowling Green that I've wanted to shut down have far exceeded any number of times since I've been a Christian. It's, it's been frightening. My, my temptations to look at pornography, to take a second look on Facebook, to look up a news article have only increased since I've moved to Bowling Green and not decreased. But I am so grateful that God put Kurt in my life. Kurt and I talk every Wednesday at 8.30 in the morning or 9.30 his time. And, and, and one, one Wednesday, I'm, I'm on top of the moon. God is doing awesome things. I'm fired up. I'm trusting God. The next Wednesday, I'm down in the dump and God hates me. My emotions are like, and, and that's not just a weekly thing for me. That's a daily thing. But I'm so grateful that, that I have a Jonathan and, and, and Kurt that's there to pull me out of the rut. But, but it's not just Kurt. I call Brody every Thursday. Mm -hmm. my, my best friend who studied the Bible with me. Who knows me intimately. Who's not going to allow me to give in to my laziness and my selfishness. And, and then, if that's, if that's not enough, I meet up with Brian Perkins every Tuesday. And I've got these guys that, that they will not let me sit back and watch other people go to war. But not only do I now have, have my Jonathans, I also have my armor bearers. I, a young man, his name's Colin Sanborn. A year ago, he, he was kind of the first guy that I ever mentored in the faith. A year ago, he was sent to Richmond, Kentucky to, to plant a campus ministry down there. And God is doing awesome things. But every time a conference comes around, him and I, we, we hook back up, we get together. And we challenge each other. We push each other. We sharpen each other. What, what happens when iron sharpens iron? Sparks fly. It's exciting, but it's hard. And then, and then there's this new guy that, that just got baptized this last week. His name's Clay Pallard. He, he's his hair on fire. Let me go tackle the world. Nobody's reading their Bible, young Christian. And he thinks everybody's lost. And he's now my, my new armor bearer. I, I share all this. Who's your Jonathan? It's so easy for us to have sin buddies. 
to find people that we're comfortable with that will allow us to stay stagnant. But real intimacy is found in humbling yourself before a Jonathan. And and allowing that Jonathan to, to push you, to carry you, and to call you into the battlefield. Who... Not not who are your close friends, but but who are your Jonathans? Who who are those people that you can embrace love with? But but and 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 I got so excited reading this this scripture because so honestly, part of me I'm just an adrenaline junkie. I I love to do crazy things. I I love going rock climbing and and then jumping off a twenty foot cliff. I, 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 I would desperately love to go skydiving. I love uh, going whitewater rafting. I love just being manly and wrestling with somebody. And then if I lose, I just want to wrestle again until I win. And I guess that's part of my pride, but that's a whole nother issue. I, I love adrenaline. I, I, but, but that wasn't Jonathan's motivation here. Guys, John, Jonathan wasn't going out to street preach just to feel good about himself. He wasn't going out and, and, and slaying the Philistines just to, to feel like he was more of a man, as defined by the world. We're, we're, we're going to continue reading and, and what happens, but I actually want us to go back and, and look really briefly about Jonathan's mindset. Go back with me to verse 1. You guys with me? In, in verse 1, Jonathan's statement, he says, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. Why why is that important? If you go back and and you look at at 1 Samuel 9.16, just write it down. I I encourage you guys to be Brian's and and look it up afterwards. But, But God promises Saul that he's going to use Saul to deliver the Philistines into the Israelites' hands. Jonathan's mindset wasn't just this, this macho, rah, 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 let's go seek adrenaline. Jonathan latched on to the promises of God. Jonathan knew that, that God had promised Saul victory over the Philistines. And he went and he captured that victory. Go down, go down again to verse 6. And, and I was, when I was studying this out, I was so grateful that I found this because... The first few times I read this story, I just was like, man, Jonathan's a man. I'm not. Maybe I just got to be more like a man. But, but that Jonathan's heart and his faith was so inspiring. Verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, he says, come let us go over to the garrison of these what? Uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Go, turn with me over to Genesis 17. Again, Jonathan is actually latching on to a promise of God. Genesis 17, it, it, God's, God's talking to Abraham and, and, he, and he says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of a multitude of nations. Abraham, you're going to be exceedingly fruitful. I will make you, Abraham, into nations. Not a, not a nation, but nations. And, and, and Abraham, this isn't just you, but, but this is going to be for generations and generations to come. It's all in, in verses 1 through verse 10, or verse 9. But, but pick it up with me in verse 10. And God continuing uh, to, to talk to Abraham, he says, This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you 
and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be what? Circumcised. When Jonathan made this statement, looking at the Philistines and calling them uncircumcised, his mind would have been set on this scripture. He, he would have remembered the, the promises that God made to Abraham hundreds of years previously. He, he would have remembered that, that God promised Abraham that he was going to make him into nations. And that this promise wasn't just for his generation, but it was for the generations to come. Jonathan's mindset and Jonathan's heart was singularly focused on God. It wasn't just this macho, rah, 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 let's, seek it, let's go after adrenaline, let's do front flips off a, off a, off a cliff and, and feel more manly about ourselves. It was this deep-rooted faith and this deep-rooted love for God. Why, why is all this important? Turn with me over, over to Psalm 103. We, we've got to embrace the war. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about as we flip to a couple verses really quick. Since I'm in the ESV, can somebody read uh, Psalm 103 verse 5 for me? Go ahead and stand up and read it. Awesome. Thanks, bro. Who, what, what does it say God satisfies our desires with? We don't serve some ruthless God. God knows that inside of you, there's a natural desire for a woman. God knows that inside of you, there's this natural desire for, for this, this crazy, adventure-filled life. And God's not this ruthless God that wants to put his thumb on you and make you feel miserable. God wants to satisfy your desires with what? Are you convinced of that? Are you actually convinced that you serve a good, good father? That This is where the rubber meets the road. Because we, we can sit back and, yeah, I believe in God. I believe that he created the universe. I, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus rose on the third day. Awesome! But do you believe he's good? Do you believe that he's actually good and actually wants to fill all your desires? And you actually, you don't have to look much further than your actions. James 2 says, right? Even the demons believe in what? Our actions say so much about our faith. Do your actions say that you believe that God wants to fulfill your desires with good things? If they don't, you know what? Amen. That, that's where you're at today. That's where Kurt was eight years ago. But I promise you, if you look at Kurt's life, Kurt's life exemplifies a man who believes that God wants to give him good things. And it comes out of the overflow of the conversations that you have with him. We've got to embrace the war that, that God has for us. Turn with me. This will be the last scripture we look at it in, in Ephesians 2, verse 10. Come on, Jimmy. And, and this, is, this is my theme scripture for me and my relationship with God since I've moved to Bowling Green. 
I, I, can't, I can't understate the excitement, but also the fear that, that has gripped me and my wife since we moved to Bowling Green. If anybody asks me, I feel like I'm living a dream. I'm living out life to the full. At the same time, I have never been more afraid in my entire life. But, but this scripture, it, it dictates my mindset, or at least I, I try, try to allow it to dictate my mindset. Can somebody else read Ephesians 2 verse 10? For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thanks, brother. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you are in Christ Jesus, this is a promise to you. If you are not in Christ Jesus, if you have not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, this is a promise that you have to look forward to, but this is not a promise for you yet. It's wild. If you, if you go back and, and you look at this passage where it says, for we are God's workmanship. This idea of workmanship is found one other place in scripture. And it's found in Romans 1, uh, around verse 20. Where, where it says, through God's creation or through God's workmanship, we are able to know his invisible qualities and his nature. If God's creation is meant to point back to him, what are we meant to do? I get goosebumps when I think about this. The, the only reason, the only reason that we are not in heaven with God is because we have a mission and a war in front of us. And, and, and this, isn't, this isn't an if. This is a fact if you are in Christ Jesus. And it's not that maybe, sort of, I hope, kind of, God wants to use me. No, God has good works that he predestined you to do. And those good works are always meant to point everybody back to God. In other words, when somebody sees you, they should see Jesus. When somebody gets to know you, they should be getting to know Jesus. We've got to embrace the war around us. Because through embracing the war, we get to point people back to Jesus. John Eldridge in his book, he says, deep in his heart, meaning the man's heart. Deep in his heart, every man longs for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. Brothers, we've got to realize that God wants to satisfy those desires with good things. But in the process of satisfying those desires, because of Jesus and because of the Holy Spirit, He then wants to use us to point the rest of the world back to Him. But the only way that happens is if, one, we engage the real war. Just like Kurt talked about. We engage the real war. We embrace love amongst one another. And then we embrace the fight and the workmanship and the good works that God predestined you to do and I to do in Christ Jesus. And so I leave us with this challenge. It takes 21 days to make a habit. I so appreciated Will Archer and, and Drew Mines' lesson to the men. 
We are all living at our 40% right now. My challenge is take it to 60. Take your relationship with God to 60%. What do I mean by that? If you're praying for 15 minutes a day, I want to challenge you to pray for 30. If your quiet time is currently 30 minutes a day, I challenge you to take it to 45. If your, your quiet time is currently at 45, I challenge you to take it to an hour. You're going to feel weird. You're going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. But through it, God's going to use you as you remain in Jesus to point everybody back to him. When I moved to Bowling Green, I was given a charge. Make it your ambition to pray for an hour every single day. And it was hard. I felt like I had to make things up to pray for at first. I'd, I'd, set, I'd look at my clock. It, it, say, it said 6.01. And I'd look forward to when it said 7.01. And it was hard. But I praise God for that challenge. Because now when, when the fears come, now when the anxiety comes, no longer is it me turning to myself. It's me turning to God. May we engage the world. May we embrace love. May we embrace the war. And may God use us to be the the workmanship and the good works to point everybody back to him. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, um, we love you, God, and um, just so grateful for these men. God, so grateful for you. Um, God, and, and I pray that, that you would you, you, you'd take us, God, that you'd, you'd help us to, to see clearly, God, that you'd take away the fog. Uh, God, that, that you would give us humility. I know that's scary to ask for. But, Father, I ask that you'd give us humility, God, so we can, can have the, the right, um, pr- we can prostrate ourselves correctly before you. We can have the right, forget the word that, that we'll use, God, but, but praise God for your Holy Spirit, uh, that, that we can come before you humbly, God, that we can humble ourselves before other people, God, that you can transform us here in this room to, to really live outside of, of the, the media, to live outside of the internet, God, to live outside of the video games, to engage the world around us, to embrace the love that you want us to embrace, God, and, and please, please, please to embrace this idea of winning the world for Jesus. God, I'm so grateful for this time. I'm so grateful for us to get together with men, but above all, I'm grateful for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We are dismissed. Thanks, guys. Oh yeah, and, and if you guys want to talk to Kurt and I, get uh, hear stories or, or just talk, we're, we're going to be in the hallway hanging out for a little bit. We'd love to talk to you guys too. Yeah, we do have to leave the room though. So love you guys. Hey. Uh,